Yo, 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 yo. Welcome to another episode of the X Factor Sports Podcast, Season 3, Episode 11. We are one episode away from Season 3 finale next week. It's crazy. It's been a long, fun season. We've done episodes on the other side of the world, which is crazy. But uh, we got to get through Episode 11, of course, before we get into that. So we got a great show tonight. We got football talk. We got NBA talk. And if you've seen the promotions for this week, the X Factor Sports Podcast saves the NBA All-Star Game. So before we get into all that, we got to get to that quick news. And it's all NCAA quick news, football and basketball. So let's start with the football. If you guys have been paying attention, yesterday, the College Football Playoff Committee approved unanimously a 12-team playoff. Something a lot of fans have been looking forward to especially kids that go to universities that feel like their team should make the college football playoff. Obviously the committee loves it because there's going to be more money generated, bigger games. Season's going to be a little bit longer, but I think for a playoff sake and for money generating sake, I think it's a good idea. So unanimous vote. So the way they're going to do it is it's going to be like March Madness style. So it's 12 teams, right? They're going to do, the Power Five teams, so the, the highest ranked teams in the Power Five, whether it be winning their conference championship or just being highly ranked at the end of the year when they do the final polls, those teams get automatic bids. So that's kind of where the March Madness thing comes into play. And then the other seven teams will get an at-large bid. So if we use this example for the last college football playoff we just saw, a team like Georgia, who was great all year for the last two years, rather, lose to Alabama in the SEC title game and they don't make the college playoff. They would be considered an at-large team because they only lost one game and it was at the end of the year. Florida State, I know they wish this was a year earlier that they put this in so they wouldn't have got the shaft, but they're going to be, they would be a team that would be an at-large bid as well, your Ohio States, things like that, right? And then you get the other at-large bids that are going to be what you would call a quote-unquote Cinderella team. So your Boise States or, you know, the teams that are in lower conferences, but they're undefeated. Like they'll get a chance to go up against the SEC teams, the Big Ten teams, and see if they can play for a national championship. So how would this look? How is it going to look with 12 teams playing for a national championship Oh, do we like the idea? Obviously, the money is going to be generating crazy, but aesthetically, on TV, optics, is it going to look good? You got football, football, football. Of course, for fanatics like myself, I love it because it's just there's going to be a true national champion, I think, that comes out of this. So, But the way they're going to break it down, I feel like they got to break it down like this. They have to do, if it's 12 teams, your first four teams get a bye. So the college football playoff, kind of like they did this year with the four teams, those top four teams don't play in that first round. And then the other eight play in the quarterfinal. So in that quarterfinal, you get, you know, five versus 12, you get six, 11, 17, eight, nine seeds, right? So it might even get 12, five upsets in football like we do in basketball. So I think that's how they do a quarterfinal. Then a winner of those games go to, a semifinal against the one through fours 
right? Or my bad, you got, that's your quarterfinal. And then it goes down to the final four teams after that. So the first, the first round, four teams get a bye. And then after that, we break it down to the quarterfinal with the eight teams. So how would that work with bowl games? Because we still got the New Year's Six bowls, right? So for those who don't know what the New Year's Six is, after New Year, those big bowl games that everybody sees when the Big Ten always plays against a Pac-12 team in the Rose Bowl, so on and so forth. So we got the Rose Bowl, we got the Peach Bowl, Cotton Bowl, Orange Bowl, you got uh, Sugar Bowl, and Fiesta Bowl. So those are your six bowl games. So the way I think they would have to put those together is in the quarterfinal, when you got eight teams left, you do four of those bowls. And then the winner goes to the semifinal and they do the last two and then the national championship. The cool thing about that is if you're a team that wins a national championship next year, you've got the opportunity to win a Rose Bowl, a Cotton Bowl, and a national championship in the same season, which is crazy because they are college athletes who – have never won a bowl game in their entire career. And these kids next year will be able to win two of them in a national championship. So that'll be interesting. And obviously they're going to rotate those New Year's six games every year in between quarterfinal and semifinal games. So it'll be interesting to see how they do that. But I'm excited to see how it all shakes out. These teams get an opportunity to win a national championship. No more excuses. You got to play the games. All these small schools saying they want to play these Alabamas and these Georgias. So we're going to see in these first rounds or the quarterfinals, you're going to make it. Congratulations, Boise State. Now you get to play Georgia and lose by 50 points. So everybody will get to see what it is. And there's no excuse now. So I like it. It'll be interesting to see how long it lasts, but I think it'll be good. They'll at least probably, they probably signed a 10-year deal to do it, just like this first iteration of the college football playoff. So y'all let me know if y'all like that or not. Now we'll move to basketball for quick news. Purdue and UConn fall here in the last few days. Purdue fell over the weekend to Ohio State. And so on Monday, they were actually projected to be the number one overall seed. Even though they were the number two team in the country, they were projected to be the number one overall seed. But obviously losing Ohio State kind of knock that out the way because come Monday morning, this past Monday, UConn was unanimously ranked number one in the country until last night. <laughs> they go to Creighton, get smacked around. I think they were down by as many as 20, 23 points, end up losing by 19, just didn't play good at all. Um, so they lose as a number one seed. Congratulations to Creighton. First time beating the number one team in the country in program history. So that was cool to see. And UConn, Vegas probably wasn't surprised. UConn, they haven't lost a game this calendar year until yesterday. So this is their first loss in, in the year 2024, which is impressive. They won 14 straight, been undefeated for almost two months. But Vegas might have not been surprised because UConn has now lost 14 straight games on the road against ranked teams. So it's almost like if you knew they was going on the road to play Creighton and Creighton's ranked like 15th in the country, like might be a chance they, they catch an L, and they did. So congrats to Creighton, Ohio State, beating those teams. A lot more parity in men's college basketball, so it'll be exciting to see what happens in March. I still think Purdue and UConn will be number one seeds 
in their respective regions. So it ain't a big deal. But there is a lot to say about it's not who you lose to, it's when you lose. And UConn losing now, I'm sure they kicking themselves like, damn, I wish we would have lost this game in December or not. I wish we would have lost to Creighton the first time instead of now because where they'll be positioned. But that's all good. So to stay with college basketball, we're going to move into Caitlin Clark. So we'll move into the ladies. Caitlin Clark, as you already know, we celebrated her being the all-time lead scorer in women's college basketball. She's got an opportunity to pass Pete Maravich as the all-time leading scorer in the NCAA, men and women. Now, there have been some, some people before Mr. Pete and some women that played before Title IX, and their records have not been added to the NCAA record books. So we understand that. That's why it is the NCAA record. But Caitlin Clark has a chance to beat Pistol Pete's record. She is 99 points away from passing Pistol Pete with four games left, and she averages 30-some a game. So y'all do the math. She can probably get this done before the conference tournament, but the conference tournament points still count. So I think she will pass Pistol Pete. But the crazy part about Caitlin Clark she actually has another year eligibility. She has a fifth year that she can play. She's going to graduate this year, but she still has another year of eligibility. So the question is, will Caitlin Clark stay or will she go? All right. And we got a bunch of different reasons why she can do both. Because think about it this way. If she was to stay, she can knock that record out the park. I don't think anybody will reach it if she comes back for another year. I know we talked about Juju Watkins, the amazing freshman out of USC. But if you give Caitlin Clark another year to pile on this record and she's scoring like a thousand points a year already, damn near, like that will put this record in another stratosphere. So if she stayed for that, obviously she is revered and loved already in, in Iowa. The NIL money is crazy. Next year, she's she's making $800,000 already in NIL money. And next year, she'll clear a million easy with NIL money. She will be the star of, of college basketball if she stayed. And the, the highest paid WNBA player makes like $240,000 a year. So she can stay for the money. The guts and glory, all of, all of the accolades. She would probably sweep all the awards and all that. Um, have a chance to win a national championship. Although I don't think they mess with South Carolina. But we'll talk about that when we get closer to the Final Four. But all these things that she can do if she stays in Iowa, at Iowa. But on the flip side, the, the type of player that Caitlin Clark is, to go to the WNBA would not be about the money, obviously, because she can make more in college. It's about the level of competition she would play at. Somebody that plays at that level wants to play against the best. And so that's why I think she leaves. I think this is her last year. So I asked the question, will she stay or go? My answer is I think Caitlin Clark goes to the WNBA because of the mentality. When you are the best or you are seen as the best, you want to compete against the best. I think she makes the leap to the WNBA. She'll be the number one overall pick. She'll get the endorsements anyway as a WNBA player. The way she's changed college basketball for women with the help of Angel Reese, 
with the help of Juju Watkins, the young freshman, with the help of the South Carolina team, all of those women there. So they're probably more stars this season in women's college basketball than there are men's college basketball, like individual stars, which is great. So she is a part of that movement. So I think she can carry that momentum to the WNBA anyway. And the NIL money isn't going to stop. Like she's still going to be able to make commercials. So, but she'll be able to play against the best. And I think that's what drives players like Caitlin Clark. So you'll hear a lot of chatter about come back one more year. Should she stay? Even if they don't win a national championship, I think she leaves because she's got that hunger to play against the best. And I think that's what drives her. I think she's accomplished everything she set out to accomplish at the University of Iowa. So she'll ride this thing out and go to the next level. All right. When we come back, we are going to get into NFL free agency. It started yesterday, I think. So we're going to get into it. I got five players I want to talk about if they stay or leave their teams. And we're also going to talk about if they do leave their teams, where is the best fit for them? You don't want to miss this next segment. This is Jay Mondain of the X Factor Sports Podcast. We will be right back. love sports and want to stay informed about the latest news and content, then you've got to check out this podcast. The X Factor Sports Podcast is the ultimate source for your favorite sports news and analysis. This host covers all kinds of sports, you'll always be able to find something interesting to listen to. Plus, the podcast is highly entertaining and will keep you on the edge of your seat every time. So, don't wait any longer. Subscribe to the X Factor Sports Podcast today. Yo, yo, we are back. Back on the X Factor Sports Podcast. This is Season 3, Episode 11. I want to thank everybody for tuning in every week. We are live on Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram, and also Rumble. So you can subscribe there as well. If you don't have a YouTube account, you can always subscribe on Rumble to see these episodes live, or you can catch them later if you're not available to watch it every Wednesday night. You can also catch the audio on multiple platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and Samsung Podcasts. So be sure to check us out on all of those. And we appreciate y'all. So let's get into it. The NFL free agency has started, has begun. This is the time where you start seeing franchise tags, who will be tagged, who won't be. A lot of these players that were tagged last year probably won't be tagged this year. So they'll either sign contracts or they'll move on to new teams. So in thinking about this, there were five players I wanted to kind of key in on where they could go in free agency, what will happen with them. These are impact players. They not only impact the NFL or their teams, they impact the NFL also. So they will change the landscape. And the first guy I want to talk about, of course, the guy that set out for one game last year, was chilling in the, in the stands with his agents in week one, is Chris Jones. Chris Jones is going to be a free agent. I don't think the Chiefs tag him again. I don't think they want to go through what they went through last year. 
they kind of put all these hurdles in front of him like, hey, you hit these milestones, you'll get these bonuses. And he knocked all of them down except defensive player of the year, unfortunately. But he checked every box. He got his 10 sacks. He got them to the Super Bowl. They won the Super Bowl. He was an all-pro defensive player. He, if some would say, if it wasn't for him, they the Chiefs wouldn't have won the Super Bowl. For what he did in Buffalo, for what he did in the actual Super Bowl game with Brock Purdy, making these guys miss uh, receivers in the end zone. So Chris Jones was a, a definitely a defensive nightmare all year long. He deserved all the money he got. He bet on himself. Now we're in the offseason, all right? The parade is over. The liquor done wore off. So now what are we going to do about some business, all right? We got to sit at the table and we got to talk about it. The Chiefs will re-sign Chris Jones. They will re-sign him to a multi-year deal. And he deserves it, deservingly so. He is the unquestioned leader of the defense and best player on that side of the ball. And he's finally getting shown some love. I see him in some commercials. They actually let him even talk at the parade. So much deserving. He bet on himself and he was successful. So I think he deserves the right to sit down at the table and talk multi-year deals. So hopefully they do that for him. And hopefully he stays a chief. I'm sure Chiefs fans will love for him to stay. And... Also, I'm sure in the back of his mind is the situation with Tyree Hill, right? Tyree Hill was his teammate. Tyree Hill won a Super Bowl with him. Tyree Hill was an all-pro. And a couple million dollars was the difference between him staying in Kansas City and possibly winning two more rings and going to Miami. So I think if Chris Jones is as passionate about staying in Kansas City as he says he is, I think they get a deal done. Now, that doesn't mean you take a team-friendly deal. You get what you're worth. But they also have to understand that by keeping Chris Jones and giving him what he's worth, that's going to kind of shave a little off the top for some other players that may have to go. And that takes us to Legereus Sneed. Legereus Sneed may not be a Kansas City Chief after they get this Chris Jones deal done. I think they take care of him first. And they see what's left with Snead, but Snead is a free agent, and I think teams will want him bad, particularly the Philadelphia Eagles. But before we get into that, I'm going to back up and talk about why the Chiefs won't be able to keep him. Um, salary cap, obviously, we understand how the money works in salary caps. You can only spend a certain amount of money. They're going to give that to Chris Jones. What LeJarius Snead is asking for, I don't think they're going to be able to give him. And I think the Chiefs will be okay with letting LeJarius Snead leave. They have a history with Andy Reid, a recent history of drafting young DBs, and they shine. They they play well. You still got all-pro uh, Trent McDuffie. You still got Justin Reed back there. Like, they have a good secondary. If you lose a caliber of a, of a Chris Jones in that front seven, that's hard to recover. I think it's easier to recover from a Legereus Sneed leaving when you got McDuffie and those dudes in the back. Um, so that's why I think and you still got Bolden and, and Willie Gay and all these guys at the linebacker. So I think losing Sneed won't hurt as much as losing a Chris Jones would. So that's why I think Legereus Sneed goes elsewhere. Now, to Philly, I think Philly goes after him. They would be silly not to. You put him next to big play Slay on the other side with that, with that cornerback. He's an all-pro corner as well. The type of year Legereus Sneed just had. 
in the AFC against those quarterbacks, you put him in the NFC against these guys, I think they do big things. I think that Philly is an organization that he can definitely thrive in. And then you also have, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> you also have Vic Vangio, who is the defensive coordinator there. <clears throat> he loves having athletic, dominant cornerbacks. He was the Bears defensive coordinator back when we won the NFC North in 2018. And our defense was one of the best defenses in the league, Khalil Mack, all those dudes. So I think the same thing can happen here. They might have the same recipe for success if they keep their front seven together. So I think Sneed, they have the money to get them. They have the GM that's looking to win now. I think Nick Sirianni knows that he is on a, I won't say a hot seat, <clears throat> but it's warm. They got the seat warmers on. So in my car, I got three notches to the, to the, to the seat warmer. I think Nick Sirianni, he's on like two. I think they pushed the button twice for him. So he's going to try to do whatever he can do to get back to a Super Bowl. And I think LeJerry Snead helps that defense tremendously. Young, athletic, great, on the cusp of being an all-pro. I think that's where he should be going. All right. Now we get to Kirk Cousins. I know, right? How do you have a podcast and you end up talking about Kirk Cousins? Well, Mr. Guaranteed Money, I swear, I think Kirk Cousins is an NBA player. When is the last time Kirk Cousins had a contract that was not fully guaranteed, all right? Because ever since he was at Washington, talking about you like that, all his contracts have been guaranteed. And even when he did it in Minnesota, he was like the first one to kind of plant his flag, like I'm getting all my money guaranteed in this contract. It was like 80-something million. So... He did tear his ACL last year in week eight, and he will be 36 years old coming in the next season. So those are some things, I mean, in NFL terms, he is uh, a little older because we got quarterbacks. This is a quarterback heavy draft. We got some athletes coming in that are literally 14, 15 years younger than Kirk Cousins. So that's the reality of, of the sport. But Kirk Cousins reminds me a lot of Alex Smith. He's not your great. He's not going to be great. He's not going to be bad. He's your stabilizing quarterback. So he stabilizes the franchise. He's not the franchise guy. He won't get you over the hump to a Super Bowl, but he can get you to the playoffs, right? I think that's what Kirk Cousins is. I think that's what his market will allow or justify. But now being coming off a, a Achilles injury and being 36 years old, Will Minnesota stay with him? I'm not sure. I'm not sure Minnesota wants to guarantee him money. But if he does not stay in Minnesota, I think the team for him to go to is the Atlanta Falcons. The reason you go there is because they are not sure on Desmond Ritter at all. They got a new coach. And I don't think they're in a position to get a quarterback in the draft. They may have to move some pieces and move up a little bit. I'm not sure if they can. So, if Kirk Cousins is a free agent, I think you get him to play that Alex Smith role. The way Alex Smith did it for Mahomes in Kansas City, Kirk Cousins is the stabilizer, right? Desmond Ritter will play until Cousins is ready, week seven, week eight of next season. And then Kirk Cousins moves in, stabilizes the franchise. You got a veteran quarterback who's won big games. He's played in big games, played in playoff games. You got an adult in the locker room. He's mature. He can handle the media. 
all those things. He's almost like Matt Ryan 2.0 when Matt Ryan was in Atlanta, right? You got a grown up there. So I think they do that until they find their guy. I think that's the place for Kirk Cousins. I don't really see him anywhere else. Go down somewhere warm. You're still playing in a dome. You're in a weaker division. I think that makes sense for his health. And I think it makes sense from a football standpoint for the team. So I'm looking to see him go to the Atlanta Falcons if he doesn't stay in Minnesota. He's a steady guy, but he's not the guy. All right. So keeping it with quarterbacks, Russell Wilson. Where is Russ going to go? Oh, and I say that. Oh, he's not staying in Denver. <laughs> so I don't know. Hopefully y'all wasn't thinking he was going to do that. No, he's not staying in Denver. They are about to pay this dude $37 million to leave. <laughs> like, seriously. They are about to take dead cap and just say, go ahead and go home, man. You and Sierra, go, go home. Cruise the French Riviera, whatever. Take y'all kids. Take a little future with you. And just leave the, leave the facility because uh, we don't want you here no more. Now, that's a good thing for us because who wants to be somewhere they're not wanted? Right, I don't like going places that I don't want to be that I'm not wanted. Why would he? So the good news is he's going to get 37 million dollars to not play for the Denver Broncos, but now he's an unrestricted free agent and can go anywhere and play for the league minimum. So what that does is it helps another team salary cap to get more players because you're only paying Russ this this year the minimum. I think the veteran minimum is like a million, million 1.2, something like that. So the team I think Russ should go to, where I think he would benefit the most, resurrect his career even, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Go play in Pittsburgh. They just let go of Trubisky. They are not sold on Kenny Pickett. And Mason Rudolph has been the long-term backup since Ben Roethlisberger was there. So they obviously don't know who's going to be the starter. If you put a player like Russell Wilson with a coach like Mike Tomlin. And Mike Tomlin alluded to this on, on The Pivot. If y'all watch The Pivot podcast, a great podcast, they he even talked about it on there, how a lot of these coaches in the NFL are scared to teach. Like, they don't want to teach anymore. They just want these, they expect these guys to know what they are supposed to do with their positions. They expect them to understand how to handle the media, the emotions of the game the fundamentals, and they're not trying to teach. I don't know if that was a shot at Sean Payton or not, but he said very adamantly that he loves teaching the game of football. And just because Russ is about to be 37 years old next year, you're never too old to learn. And I think Russell Wilson can pull back. He's a competitor. He wants to win. I can see him and Mike Tomlin actually working really well together. And coming into that environment and resurrecting his career and showing that he can still play. The Steelers have kind of a Seattle Seahawks type of mentality, the way the Legion of Boom was in there. They played tough, good running game, defense, played in the elements. I think Pittsburgh is very similar in a very similarly ran organization like Seattle is. So I think that's a good fit. Mike Tomlin is a veteran, stable coach, just like Pete Carroll was. So I think there'll be some familiarity there for Russ, which is what he needs at this time. And they don't got to pay him much. So you can go get more weapons for him or you can shore up the defense for him or you can get, hell, you get an extra leg for TJ Watt so he doesn't get hurt again. Like you got money to do all these things. And I think the Steelers will be straight. So go get Russ, let him play in Pittsburgh 
And you got to think about it this way. I don't want a Kenny Pickett or Mason Rudolph or a rookie quarterback in this division. You got to play against Joe Burrow twice. You got to play against the two-time MVP, Lamar Jackson twice. You got to play against Deshaun Watson twice. Like, or hell, they might get um, Joe Flacco off the couch again, win most improved and get him off couch and play against him twice. The point I'm making is you got veteran, good quarterbacks. This might be the best division in football in terms of quarterbacks and just records in general, the way they beat up on each other. Why not get a veteran, proven NFL champion quarterback, Super Bowl champion quarterback to come into this division, stabilize your offense until you find the guy. I think Russ could be a good fit there. I think it works for both parties. Russ, you need to go ahead and give Pittsburgh a call. Let them know you're ready to come. You've got 37 mil in the bank from the Broncos anyway. So go ahead to Pittsburgh, man, and, and keep your career going and do something special over there in the in, in the AFC North, which would be crazy. There'll be, there'll be three black, three and a half black quarterbacks over there in the AFC North. We're gonna say Joe Burrow a half. But yeah, it's gonna be <laughs> all these black quarterbacks in the AFC North. So that'll be interesting to see if they get Russ over there. So We'll see what they do with that. Last but not least, Saquon Barkley. All right. Saquon Barkley, running back of the New York Giants. This is going to be crazy. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm prefacing my talk about Saquon Barkley is being crazy already. So you can comment and be like, yeah, Jay, you crazy. I already told you it's going to be. But listen, hear me out. Saquon Barkley is not going to take another franchise tag from the Giants. I know he's saying all the right things on TV. He's got a good agent, good publicist. You don't want to badmouth anybody. It's still a business. You got to present yourself. The next team will be watching. But I think he's out of New York if they try to franchise him again. He will not accept it. He's either going to sit or he wants to leave. Hopefully he doesn't take the Le'Veon Bell route. But if he leaves, now hear me out. I'd say this is crazy. Long shot. I think the Chicago Bears should try to go get Saquon Barkley. I said it. I said it. But hear me out. This is why I think it will work. All right. <clears throat> the Bears go get Saquon Barkley. This is what they get for him. So he is going to be an unrestricted free agent. So they don't need to trade assets or do any of this stuff. If, if Saquon is not tagged, he is a free agent. He can go do whatever he wants to do. The Bears will have the cap space to pay him. He's already said he doesn't want to reset the market, but he does want to play for a team that wants to pay him, that he, that actually will pay for his services. The Bears, after they get their cap cuts and all that out the way, like all teams do, the Bears will have close to $50 million in cap space. You can pay Saquon 11 to 12 million a year, right? That's what he's looking for. You give Saquon that money, Right, We don't have to get rid of Jalen Johnson. We don't have to get rid of any of our DBs, none of that. We keep our number one overall pick. Or if we're trading it with Washington, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, you get the two pick. So now you pair Saquon with DJ Moore, Marvin Harrison Jr., and you got Justin Fields at QB. You save Justin Fields' legs. He doesn't have to run 10 times a game because you got a dog in the backfield with Saquon. And you still got Khalil Herbert and Roshan Johnson on rookie money. So we got a stable of backs with Saquon receiving back out the backfield. 
every time he played the Bears, he dominated us. So we'd love to have him. So you got that. Even if he doesn't stay healthy, you still got Khalil Herbert and Roshan Johnson. You don't lose any of these pieces because he was a free agent, right? So you combine Saquon with Justin Fields, DJ Moore, and you go get that offensive tackle from Alabama with the ninth pick because we still got the number nine pick, J.C. Latham, with Marvin Harrison Jr., that new offensive coordinator, hey, he can he can draw whatever you want to draw up. And I think the Bears' offense will be humming if they stay healthy. So the Bears, it's a long shot, but if you can, Virginia McClaskey, if you can hear me with that good ear, go out there and try to go get Saquon Barkley and let's make this, let's rock, all right? We got the money. We got the picks. Ryan Poles, do your thing in the draft for another year. Go try to get Saquon. It might take something crazy for the Bears to get out of the dundrums. So let's let's make it happen. So that's why I think it's going to happen right there. I think Saquon will be a free agent, and I think the Bears need to go after him and go get him to Chicago. All right? Y'all let me know what y'all think, though. Where are people going? They stand. And let me know how crazy these ideas are. I love talking about this type of stuff, like bringing it to you guys. So you let me know what you feel like or what you think. When we come back to the X Factor Sports Podcast, Season 3, Episode 11, we get into Bet That, all right? We got an NBA Bet That segment. We got five picks for tomorrow's games. The NBA is back off of break tomorrow. I'm going to tell you these five games, who wins, what spreads are, whatever we are on our parlay, and I'm going to tell you why. This is the X Factor Sports Podcast. We'll be right back. Yo, yo, we are right back with the X Factor Sports Podcast live on YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and Rumble. All right. Appreciate y'all for tuning in tonight. Every Wednesday night, 7 p.m., the X Factor Sports Podcast. You can check us out. Live content, unbiased takes, real talk. That's what you get from us here at the X Factor Sports Podcast. Also on all the audio platforms. You'll see them down at the bottom on the ticker. Be sure to check us out, all right? Now we're going to get into that segment y'all love so much. We call it Bet That. This is where we make five picks on any type of sport we want, and we tell you who we think is going to win and why, all right? So for tonight, we're doing a five-pick parlay on NBA games starting tomorrow. Let's get into it right now, all right? The first game we got, the Celtics against the Bulls. Okay, I rarely bet on Bulls games. It's just something about betting on my teams I just don't do. I try to take the emotion out. I don't want to deal with it. But in this game in particular, I feel like the Bulls um, will come off, come out of break. I think they'll be good. They're healthy. I think they are ready to try to make a run at the playing game. I'm not unrealistic. I know they're not going to win, like try to be one of the top four or five teams. But the play-in is a real is a realistic goal for sure. Um, I think they need to make the playoffs to save Billy Donovan's job. 
Absolutely. So I think they play hard. So for this particular game tomorrow, though, I got the Bulls covering this seven and a half point spread against Boston. Uh, the Bulls will cover at home. They are fully rested. The Bulls didn't have any All-Stars, which is disappointing to say out loud. No All-Stars made it, but they're all rested, so they shouldn't have any excuse, if not to win this game, not lose by seven, more than seven points. So that's what I'm thinking they'll do there. And then Boston is 10, 12, and 2 in games against the spread on the road. So that's a very important number to understand. On the road, they don't do well against the spread. Seven and a half is a lot of points. I feel like the Bulls will cover because they are rested and they are at home. So we're going with the Bulls to cover. Next one, we got Knicks at Sixers. And I'm taking the Sixers straight up. I think the line is one and a half. I'm going to take the Sixers straight up simply because the Knicks are just decimated with injuries. Everybody but Jalen Brunson is hurt. Hell, they might have to go get Patrick Ewing to play in this game. Everybody's out. So Julius Randle might have to have shoulder, shoulder surgery. Say that five times fast. He's out. Um, the center, Hockenstein's out. Like, a lot of these dudes are out. OG Aminobi, I think, is out. So I'm taking, and the Knicks have been slumping before All-Star break anyway. On the road, I think um, Tyrese Maxey is rejuvenated, getting the nod to be in an All-Star game. That does wonders for a young player. Just from a confidence standpoint, you feel like you're one of the best players in the world and you kind of go on a run. I see Tyrese Maxey doing that. I think he will probably be the most improved player this year. And so I'm looking for Philly to win this game straight up at home. The Knicks are 500 on the road as it is anyway. They're playing 500 basketball away from Madison Square Garden. And they got like five, six players injured. So I'm going to go ahead and go with Philly straight up to win this game. All right. The next game I got, Suns versus Mavs. This is always a high-scoring affair. I, I'm going to take the under in this game. The, the over-under is at 243.5. I'm going to take the under. The two games they played this year, they got up to 240 points, I think, or 238, something like that. But I'm going to go ahead and take the under. I actually think that some defense is going to be played. These teams are very close in the playoff race. The Suns are one game ahead of the Mavs, so I think this is a big, important game. And we are the second half of the season, which is always exciting NBA games. When teams are pushing for the playoffs, you start seeing their best basketball. So in this game in particular, I'm gonna, I am gonna—I don't know who's going to win this game. I think it's going to be a real good game. But I'm going to take the under on this one, under 243.5 points. Don't be surprised if some defense get played by two bad teams defensively in the fourth quarter. Might get some good, good, good defense. So I'm going to go with the under. Number four, Clippers at Thunder. The Thunder have been playing great basketball all year long, consistent. Shea Gilgis Alexander is an MVP candidate. They are good at home. They're great at home. But I'm going to take the Clippers. I got the Clippers beating them straight up. Again, another game that's going to be, these are two playoff teams, two top teams, not only in the West, but in the NBA. The Clippers are only a half game behind the Thunder for the two seed. So this is a very important game in terms of seeding and in terms of tiebreak. I think the Clippers come out. I think the veteran leadership, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, 
James Harden. I think they come out, Ty Lue, coach. I think they come out and they make a statement in this game, and I think they win this game straight up. Um, after the All-Star break, these games are huge, so I see them taking this one in OKC. <coughs> Last but not least in the Bet That segment, we got the Lakers at Warriors. The Lakers recently have dominated the Warriors over recent years. You can go all the way back to playing games. You can go back to regular season games. You can go back to the playoffs last season. Lakers have been dominating the Warriors. They both are trending in the right direction going into all-star break. They're starting to look better. The Warriors changed their lineup. This is very similar to what Steve Kerr did back in 2015 when he first got the Golden State. If y'all don't remember, Andre Iguodala used to start. He was an all-star in his career. And when Steve Kerr got to Golden State, for what he wanted to do and what he envisioned in his offense, he actually put Andre Iguodala off the bench. So now he's playing against everybody else's second unit. And then he started a young Draymond Green, and they never looked back. This is very similar to what he has done now. So Klay Thompson is coming off the bench now. He's just at that point in his career. He's played through injury. He's getting older. It happens, all right? I know we all love the Splash Brothers, but when it comes to winning in championship basketball, you do what you need to do to, to sustain winning. So Klay Thompson's a professional. He's going to come off the bench. He's going to play well. He had a 30-point game off the bench the other night because he's playing against everybody else's second string, and he's a, a perennial all-star and a champ, right? But they insert Jonathan Kaminga, who's been looking great as a starter. Some players just play better as starters. I played better as a starter. When I came off the bench, it was just a different mindset. I didn't, I didn't warm up the same because I knew I wasn't going to get in the game right away. But as a starter, like, you juiced up all day. You know... You're looking at matchups, you're watching film, you're like, all right, I know how I'm gonna attack the game because I'm starting the game. It's just a different mentality. For a young, energetic player like Kaminga, I think it's done wonders for his confidence, one, because last year he was in trade talks. Now he's starting next to Steph Curry, averaging 20 a game. So it's it's going in the right direction. Same thing on the Lakers side, D'Angelo Russell was in trade talks. You can call him trade deadline, D'Angelo Russell, whatever you wanna call him. Um, but he's been playing some good basketball as well. So he's woken up. So they're both trending in the right direction. But I feel like the Lakers will cover this spread four and a half. I, again, I don't know who's going to win this game. This has playoff implications as well. But the reason I'm betting on these games is because they're intriguing matchups. These are teams that might see each other in the playoffs. And I want to kind of get some betting in there. And I have a feeling that I wouldn't be surprised if the Lakers just won the game outright, but I definitely think the game will be close and the Lakers will cover four and a half. I don't think they lose by more than four points. So I'm going to give them that nod. And the reason that they have been to circle back around, the reason that they have been able to dominate the Warriors in recent history, in recent years, is because of the size. They are way too big for the Golden State Warriors. The, the length. They, Anthony Davis is a problem. They have nobody that can guard Anthony Davis at all. So that's always been an issue, just the rebounding. And now they got Jackson Hayes, who's another athletic 6'11", 6'10 guy 
LeBron's always been a problem for the Warriors for the last decade. So it's just that matchup against the Warriors is always giving them problems if they're not making threes. So I feel like the Lakers got a shot to close this spread. All right. So that's what we got. We're going to post the bet that segment. <coughs> We're going to post the bet that segment on social media. So you guys can get a chance to look at it. You can like, share, subscribe it, make your picks when you see it. Let me know what you think. Give me some ideas for next week's bet that segment or future segments moving forward. All right. When we come back, you do not want to miss this segment. This is the segment we've all been waiting for. The X-Factor Sports Podcast saves the NBA All-Star Game. This is Jay Mondain. We will be right back. Yo, 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 welcome back to season three, episode 11 of the X Factor Sports Podcast. This is Jay Mondain. I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. Been having a lot of fun. This is a great show. I apologize for the coughs here and there, but like I was telling the TikTok viewers, if I would have did this show on Monday, it would have been all bad. <laughs> so I'm finally getting over this little cough that I've been having. So we're going to finish rocking the show out. <clears throat> Now we are going to get into the segment y'all all been waiting for. The X Factor Sports Podcast saves the NBA All-Star Game. All right. So first of all, I was in Indianapolis this weekend. If you didn't pay attention, they always put on a great show. It's a long week, though, for the players. They got to do charity events. They got to do all different types of things before they get on the court and play basketball. So you can imagine by Sunday, they're just ready to go home. <clears throat> but... They're still professionals. You got to compete. It's still an honor to go to the All-Star game. All week I've been hearing everybody say, oh, but it's a it's a break. Oh, this isn't, we don't, why should we have to play hard? These are players saying, oh, man, everybody wants us to play hard. This is like a break for us. Okay. If the players are going to think like that, that the All-Star game is just a break, we're going to take this away as an accolade then, right? So I don't want to hear anybody saying the five-time all-star the six-time all-star right because if it's just a break and you don't care about it it shouldn't be considered an accolade when we talk about your game or when we talk about your resume or you're getting into the hall of fame but if it's going to be considered an honor then you got to treat it as such and so i say all that to say this because of what is happening in these all-star games i've put together like three different ways I think that this game could be fixed. All right? Not fixed in a point-shaving standpoint. I know we just did a betting segment. I'm talking about fix the game so it's actually, we actually enjoy it. Now, to their credit, from a rating standpoint, the All-Star game actually did better this year than last year. So, 
I am no fool. I recognize that it is a business and I recognize all the spectacle and everything that they put into the all-star game is for television and it raises the viewership, which is great. A lot of that has to do with international players being in the all-star game. So you get people from all over the world watching. I got it. But as a basketball fanatic and a basketball player, we're going to fix this game so that the basketball fan actually enjoys watching the basketball game. All right. So this is what we got. So the first thing I, I would propose, we can pick one of these three options, all of these options, whatever you want. The first thing I say is, again, all these networks talking about they want their players to talking about they want their players to play harder. So what we need to do is give an incentive to these players to play basketball, right? So if you incentivize them, they get $1.2 million will for the team that wins. So if the team wins, $1.2 million goes to the winning team. It's 12 players on the team. Everybody gets 100 grand. So I think that is feasible. Everybody thinks the money won't won't move these players but absolutely any any millionaire will tell you that they want to make more money so a hundred million dollars i mean a hundred thousand dollars is worth playing harder so i think incentivizing them from a financial standpoint will get them to play a little bit harder and want to play more games or make them play harder in the game so we can incentivize it with that winner gets 1.2 million each whichever team wins the second option we can do is you separate these teams. We are big enough in the NBA that we have enough stars across the world where we can do a USA team versus a world team and have them play in an all-star game. I think they'll play with a little more pride. The USA doesn't want to lose in front of the home fans. The foreigners want to play against the U.S., and it's not the Olympics, and they can play like that. I think that would be a great idea. They used to do it in the Rising Stars Challenge with the younger guys. It used to be USA versus the world. So that would be cool to see if you got Giannis, Embiid, Jokic, Luka, Shea Gilgis, Alexander. Like you got these guys playing against the KDs, the Anthony Davises, the Steph Currys. <clears throat> I think that would be great to see from a world standpoint <clears throat> because if you're from another country you're looking at these foreigners coming over playing against the u.s players in an exhibition game best on best the world we kind of tally it up who wins after the course of five years who wins that series i think that would be cool too <clears throat> now the last one i feel like this will be this is the best one personally after writing all these out i feel like this third one is the best one so we always complain about defense in all-star games, right? The players don't play any defense. They score 211 points. The East scored 211 points, which is a record this past all-star game. So if we want to incorporate defense in them and the players actually playing hard, this is what I suggest. For all my college or for all my basketball players, college, high school, if you played semi-pro, whatever. <clears throat> Do y'all remember the four-on-four shell drill? So the shell drill used to be, I used to love this drill. I wasn't a big fan of practice, but when it came to like playing basketball and competing, this was by far my favorite drill. 
The four on four shell drill is basically what you do is this. There's like three teams of fours. Half court setting. You play and you, we play a game to five. Everything's ones. One, no ones and twos or threes. It's just one point for any basket you make. If you score, you get to stay on the court. So you beat that first four. Another four will come on and you beat them. You play to five. So you're alternating off the court. It's almost like king of the court, but four on four. We used to call it a shell drill because we would practice on running our offense or defense. What I used to love about it is we used to flip that to you scored on defense. That was the fit. That was the best. So now the only way you can score is if you get stops or turnovers. You didn't get points for scoring baskets. You had to get five defensive stops to win the game. So the way you stay on the court is if you're one of that one of the people on the four teams, if you're one of those teams, you get a stop. The loser has to come back or the loser steps off and another team comes on the court and they try to score on you and you try to get stops. The NBA should implement that in the All-Star game. And this is how you do it. The last two minutes of every quarter, the only way you can score points is by getting defensive stops. <clears throat> Think about it. They're going to get to shoot threes, dunks, do all this stuff. But in winning time, this is at the end of every quarter, the last two minutes. The only way you can score a point and everything's worth one is if you get a stop or the other team turns the ball over or you get a defensive rebound. So now you are, it is imperative for you to play defense to score points. Otherwise, no points get put on the board. I think if they add that element to the all-star game, that brings back the pride in the back, in, in the, that brings back the pride in playing in an all-star game. That brings back the, the competitiveness, teams wanting to win because you don't want to get scored on, and the incentive of scoring points on the defensive end to win a game. Think about you playing an all-star game, even if it's still like 165, 170 points. The last two minutes of the fourth quarter, you're in a tight ball game, and you just see them getting stops. For a basketball fan, that's going to be exciting. For the rest of the world, that says the NBA players don't play defense. They actually get to see elite athletes at the highest level defending in an all-star game and be, and making it fun. So that's what I think. I think that would be the best option, something to try out. Last two minutes of every quarter, defensive shell drill. You get one point for defensive stops. So again, this has been a crazy episode, crazy ideas. Y'all let me know what y'all think. Should the should the teams get prize money, which was the first option, 1.2 million to the winning team, so that's 100 grand to each of the 12 players. The world versus the US in all-star games, just split them up. We got enough great players from across the world that can play against the US all-stars. Or in the last two minutes of every quarter, you gotta get a defensive stop if you wanna get a point. You guys let me know what you think about that. But if any of those were to happen, if the third one were to happen, I think that is how the X Factor Sports Podcast fixes the all-star game. All right? So y'all let me know. When we come back, we're going to close this thing out with a two-minute warning. I'm glad y'all tuned in. We are going to be out of here soon. You don't want to miss the last two. This is the X Factor Sports Podcast. We'll be right back.
Yo, yo. Welcome back to the Factor Sports Podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. All the TikTok fans, appreciate y'all for sticking with us. We had a little technical difficulty on the phone. That's all good. It happens. That's a part of it when you're doing a live show. Some things can happen, but the show must go on. But please tune in, like, share, subscribe on YouTube. You can also watch the shows live on Facebook. If you follow the X Factor Sports Podcast on Facebook, you can always see the episodes from the past. Same on Twitter as well. So thank you all for tuning in. And obviously the audio is on all of the platforms. So before we get out of here, we're going to talk about falling in love with the process. Okay. Do you enjoy the end results or do you enjoy the process more? Which type of person are you? What type of brain are you, right? Um, do you appreciate the destination or the journey? For me, I believe there are two different types of people. There are the finished product type people, and then there are process people. Myself, personally, I'm a process guy. I enjoy the process of creating. I enjoy the process of putting this show together every week. It's fun for me. This is the easy part. Talking to y'all about sports, making these crazy takes and projections and all this stuff, this is easy. The process part is the fun part, but it's hard too. And I enjoy putting this thing together, creating it and putting it out to the world. So that's the type of person I am. So which one do you think you are though? Are you the person that likes the end result? You just want the meal. You don't want to worry about how it was made. You don't care about that. Just bring me the dish. Or do you actually, are you interested in how everything is put together? Um, I just enjoy watching things get built um, a good friend of mine, shout out to my boy, Nick Bradley. We always talk about off season stuff. He's a big fan of like watching these NFL shows where they talk about the GMs constructing the teams and kind of their thoughts in it. Me and him talk about that type of stuff all the time. We kind of geek out about it. Process people. We like to see what is being formed. So, and finding out the why, you know, I enjoy the process of putting everything together. So it's just fun to see the end result in, in the end of it. Um, for example, doing this show, season three, we went to Thailand and episode two and three, if you watched it, was on the other side of the world. Getting there, I enjoyed the process of everything from waking up early to get to the airport, even being in Chicago for a few days to celebrate mom's 60th. Like, Flying from Chicago to Thailand was over 24 hours. Even with the layover in South Korea, the service we got on the flight, like all of those things, the process, the journey of getting to Thailand, I appreciate it so much because of where I came from. I didn't come from a place where people were traveling across the world. People were able to do their own podcasts. People were able to do some of the things and see some of the things I've seen. So enjoying the journey, is, is huge for me and appreciating the process before I've gotten to where I've where I am today. So the trip to Thailand is kind of a microcosm of you know loving the loving the journey because I appreciated that trip so much more because of what it took to get there. And that and that's the thing about it. You know, I appreciate everything, like I said, from the flights to the meals to all that spending time with Miss D, her family, everything. And 
the flight back was a, a joy. The journey of coming back home. I appreciated all of that. And so you got to ask yourself in life, do you appreciate the journey before you get to the destination? Can you look back and reflect on what you did to get to where you are or prepping for the journey itself and excited to see where this journey takes you? That's something to think about in life. Just we'll never be here again. So it's all a journey anyway at the end of the day. So why not just enjoy it and look forward to what's coming in the future and enjoy that process in between. From the X Factor Sports Podcast, this is Jay Mondane. I appreciate you guys for tuning in. Be sure to like, share, subscribe. We are back next week for the season finale. And the season finale is going to be on Thursday. We are doing it on leap year. All right. The only time probably in the history of the show You'll get it on a day that doesn't exist only once every four years. February 29th, season finale of the X-Factor Sports Podcast, season three. You do not want to miss that. I appreciate y'all for tuning in. We will be back next Thursday. Peace.